0: you may be seated. Well, this is our last and final day here in this building, and I want to leave us with an exhortation that applies to us corporately, as well as to you personally. We begin our journey in God's Word in the book of Numbers. Numbers is in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. What we find in Numbers chapter 13 is that the children of Israel are on the cusp of the promised land. And as we see their journey, we can perhaps see some of our own journey in the way in which they dealt with the realities before them in their promised land. So if you will please go with me before the Lord in prayer. Yes, God, we need you. Oh, God, we need you now. Yes, we need you now. And God, you are the sovereign God who is over us. You have demonstrated demonstrably the truth of that reality. And God, we are grateful for that. You have been with us in the ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs. And we find ourselves here still being faithfully protected, loved, guided, and assured by you. And so, Lord, will you just continue to do that work? Faithful God, will you faithfully proclaim your word to us? And God, will you cause it to land? Land in a way, Lord God, that allows for us to step into these realities in a way in which, Lord God, we have yet to in our walk with you. So Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to help us be present with you in your presence with us right now. And God, we pray against every and any evil force that wants to distract, demean, distort, and divide. And we command you right now to leave. You have no place here in the name of Jesus Christ. And God, will you please root us and ground us in your love? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 13, starting at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. At this point in the story, Israel stood on the brink of entering the promised land. You see, the Lord had faithfully brought them out of Egypt. He had faithfully brought them through the wilderness. And now the land of Canaan lay in front of them. He then commanded them to send out a task force to examine this promised land. And this task force was made up of representatives from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the 12 tribes are named starting here in verse 4 all the way down to verse 16. And then in verse 17, Moses, it says, sent them to spy out the land. The land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negeb, and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, or whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor or whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage And bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So, now you have these 12 scouts, and they're sent to gather all of this data that we see in those verses. And they are anticipating a military campaign. They were to report the very nature of the land and its inhabitants. And they were supposed to bring a sample of the fruit. Now, we see in verse 1 of chapter 13 that it tells us that the Lord said to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land which I am giving to the people of Israel. Everybody say giving to the people. So the goal of their mission is not to decide whether or not entering the land is possible or not, whether it's desirable or not, The Lord here in verse 1 reminds them that the land is already a gift. All they have to do is step in and receive it. He wanted them to see what he already had prepared for them. And he wanted to test their faith. And so we see what happens in verse 21. So this band of 12, they went up. And they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin of Rehob near Lebo-Hamath. They went up to the, the Negev and, and came to Hebron, Ahamin, Sashashi, Talmai, and the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they went to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch from a single cluster of grapes, And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. This place was called the Valley of Eskel because the cluster of the people of Israel cut down from there. And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh, that they brought back word to them, that, to all the congregation. And they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. You see, what we see here is that in many respects, this, this trip was a success. The scouts were able to actually think about it. They roamed the whole land for 40 days. The text says from from the very south end, they entered it. They went all the way up to the north at Lebo Hamath, and they had no problems. And lo and behold, they found that that this land was indeed, it was flowing, it says. It was flowing with milk and honey. But here's where the story turns. Because see, they also found something else there, something that struck them with great terror, that put profound fear in 10 of those 12 scouts. And we see that in verse 28. However, the people who dwell in that land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell on the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a good report? No, a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. You see, what I want to talk about today is giants. You see, we see the definition of what a giant is in their story here in Numbers. You see, a giant is anything that stands between you and the promises of God that appears to be impossible to overcome. A giant is anything that that stands in the way of you and a promise that God has for you that appears impossible to overcome. You see, God called this land the promised land. I want you to slow down and hear that. It wasn't so much, if you will, about the milk and honey, although that was wonderful. The focus on the land was that it was a land of promise. And just like the children of Israel, we who are in Christ Jesus are given promises. And in the land of your giants, there are promises that can either be gained or missed. And so what I ask you today, do you have any giants? Do you have any giants right now in your life? If you don't have any giants, I can guarantee you will. I want you to ask yourself this question even now. What are the giants that are standing in the way of your milk and honey promise? The giant that has you right now in your life, in your situation, that's causing you to be tempted to turn back. The, the, the giant in your life right now that, that's causing you to look at that giant and say, you know what, I'm losing faith. What is that area in your life right now that you find yourself where you are so trusting in God in the midst of it, but now you find your trust diminishing? I want to know where your giant is, the giant in your life right now that's keeping you from stepping out in that place, in that area of faith and obedience. That space where God, you know, is moving you in the way that you ought to move so that he can move you into greener pastures of his power, his presence, and his provision. But you see these giants that are in front of you. See, as Max Lucado said, "You you know you're Goliath. If you were to pause right now and just pay attention, you recognize his walk. You recognize the thunder of his voice. See, see, that that giant in your life, he, he taunts you with bills you can't pay, with people you can't please, with habits that just continue and continue, but you just can't break them. Those failures in your life, anybody got any failures that you just can't forget? Those places in your life where you feel deep and profound, you know that giant of regret, anybody got one of those today? I'm talking about that relationship that relationship that, that just won't mend, that, that giant of, of the sense of hopelessness where you find yourself constantly wallowing in that place, that, that area of the future that you know God is calling you into, but it just looks too big. It looks too ominous. What is your giant? You see, there is a Psalm chapter 40, milk and honey promise, that the giant of depression wants to keep you from. You see, there's a Romans 8.28 milk and honey promise that the giant of regret is standing in the way. You see, there's a Philippians 4.19 milk and honey promise of, of provision that the giant of financial hardship wants you to doubt. There is a milk and honey promise over the giants in your life, whether it's your diseases, whether it's your discouragements, whether it's doubt, debt, or destructive behaviors. There is a milk and honey promise for the places and giants in your life. You see, we as a church, we are on the brink of a land that God is giving us in Pasadena. But just like you have your personal giants, there are giants in that land as well. And the question I have for us today is, what can we learn from Israel and their mistake so that we don't fail to gain all that God has for us in his promises? What can we we learn from from the land where where God has you, the, the land in your life where God is taking you so that you don't lose out on the promises that he has for you in the midst of those things? So I want to look at that in two ways. First, what can keep us from eating the fruit of the milk and honey of promise that God has for us? There's something that stands in the way of actually moving us into those promises. And secondarily, What will empower us to experience the milk and honey promise that God has for us even in our land of giants? Now we come to our answer to these two questions in two reports. Two reports from the 12 spies. There's a majority report and a minority report. So first let's look at the majority report, which comes from the 10 spies Out of the twelve. And it's from this that we will see what can keep us from eating the fruit of the milk and honey promise that God has for us in the land of giants. Numbers chapter 13, we start at verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. Everybody say which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, everybody say however. The people who dwell in the land are strong, cities fortified, very large. Beside we saw the descendants of Anak, so on and so forth. Verse 31, then the men who were gone up said, we are not able to go against this people, for they are stronger than we, the Nephilim, on and on and on. What I want to focus your attention on is Verse 28. And the word, however. Everybody say, however. That's actually in the emphatic in the Hebrew. It's, it's, it's reading along swimmingly in verses 26 and 27. I mean, doesn't everything sound so wonderful in verse 26? They came and brought, and they, they brought back word to all the congregation. They showed them fruit of the land in verse 26, and they told him we came to the land, and the land is flowing with, with milk and honey, verse 27. And then Hebrew emphatic, however. You see, the people had their eyes first on the fruit Of verse 26 they had their eyes on the the milk and honey of verse 27 but all of a sudden when the however showed up they seemed to just lose their mind they all of a sudden lost sight of the evidences of the promises that were present is anybody hearing me right now You see, they could no longer see verses 26 and see verses 27 because their eyes were on verses 28 through 33. All they could see were their giants. You see, what can keep us from eating the fruit of the milk and honey promise that God has for us in the land of our giants? When our focus, our attention, when we lean into the howevers, instead of focusing our gaze on the evidence of God's promises in the land of our giants, you see, when, when our eyes are on the giants in the land, we find ourselves no longer in the promised land. Were they still in the promised land or about to, y'all? Right? Were they? But look at verse twenty-seven. I had y'all repeat this. And they told him, we came to the land which, what? (laughs) Moses, you sent us here. God, you sent us here. You know what's very interesting? Is that normally and customarily, when the promised land is referred to, qualified by a relative clause, it's described usually as the, Lord, as, the, as the land which the Lord has given you. It's always described that way. But all of a sudden, when the however showed up, it wasn't, this is the land God's given me. It's, no, 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 you sent me here, Moses. God, you, you sent us here, whatever this is. You see, your marriage then is no longer your promised land. It's the land that God you sent me to. That dead-end job that you got, that God blessed you with, is no longer that land of milk and honey, but it's the desert that God put me in, right? That land of singleness, that that, that relational discord, that, that area of whatever is in your land that brought about loneliness, that life situation right now in your life that you just don't like, now it's... God, you, that that land that you sent us to. And even though God has promised his children, us who are even in Jesus, life abundant, whatever your land is, we all got different lands. But Jesus didn't say, well, there are some lands that can have life abundant and others that can't. I mean... Her land over there, yeah, that's abundant. She'll get it. But, but your land over here in Jesus, I don't know. We're gonna, that's going to be a struggle. Is that what Jesus said? He said he came to give life to all, right, who are in him. You see, the fact of the matter is, whatever your land is, the promise is that all things are working together for good. This, this, is, this is Romans 8.32. God is not withholding anything from you in your land. That even in your pit right now that you may find yourself, Psalm 30 promises that there's joy in the morning. But see, when you begin to see verse 28, eight, you're however in your landscape, then you can no longer see those promises. That are for you in your land because the giants are just too ominous. And then, what does your land become? Oh, yes, that land which you sent us. You see, when we move into our new building, it's going to be very easy for us to forget this is the land that God has given us. That, that, that it's a good land. Because when we move, we're going to see some giants. They're there right now. now. And when we begin to encounter those giants, this blessing of a building, all of a sudden we're going to be cursing it. We're going to be looking around at each other saying, we're going to be looking at each other. We're going to be looking at the leadership. We're going to be looking at God. Because guess what, y'all? There's some giants in the land. And there's some big ones. And some of the greatest giants may be within. Forget about what's going on outside the church. Some of the biggest obstacles are going to be what does it look like for us to walk in unity and love each other? And the evidence of God's promises are at work. And sometimes we can't see them because we're preoccupied with the giants. And what I'm asking us is this. When we start to recognize the giants, can we please remember Numbers chapter 13? And let's ask ourselves, when those feelings come, where are we looking? Because, see, the evidence of God's promises will be at work in our midst. I can guarantee you that because God promises those. But we have to keep our eyes off of the however and keep our eyes on verses 26 and 27, the fruit and the milk and honey. So what, kind of, what can keep us from eating the fruit of milk and honey is when our focus and our attention, when we lean into the howevers instead of focusing our gaze on the evidences of God's promise. Because see, when the, when the spies were there, they should have paused, right? Like, wait a minute. He said this is a land flowing with milk and honey We're about to go into it. I mean, come on, dog. They had to get hungry 40 days. Was they carting at the grapes? You don't think somebody kind of grabbed one and was like, I'm hungry. Grab another grape while we woo-woo. In that moment, they were eating the what? Evidence of promise. When they went by that tree and and saw that honey, it was like, oh, man, this is good. Mmm, sweet. But then all of a sudden, they forgot when the however showed up. When God was like, I didn't send you out there to be worried about no giants. I sent you out there so you could see that I'm about to do what I said I was and just give you a taste. So now here's our second question. What then will empower us? to experience the milk and honey promises that God has for us, even in the land of giants. We can see this not in the majority report, but in the minority report. And the minority report comes from two individuals that you may be familiar with, Caleb and Joshua. We see Caleb in chapter 13, verse 30. They're complaining in verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land, the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites. We got all kind of Ikes up in there, man. In verse 30, Caleb just kind of pipes in real quick. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are all able to overcome it. And then you see Joshua pipe up in chapter 14 starting at verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night because they were so freaked out. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones, we come pray, would it not be better for us to be back in Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Here we go. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Who was among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all of the congregation, The land which is passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. Everybody say exceedingly. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us up into the land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. What was it? that instilled such faith in Caleb and Joshua. Let me give you three things. This all has to do with their vision. First, they had the eye of God's present goodness. They had the eye, they saw God's present goodness. Goodness. Verse 6, chapter 14, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who, who were among them, who spied out the land, tore their clothes, said to all the congregation of the people, The land which passed through it to spy it is an exceedingly, everybody say exceedingly, good land. Next, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring, everybody say he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. You see, their eyes were on the present milk and honey evidenced that was on display. As I told you before, the the 10 spies, they didn't pause in those 40 days. And we see a very rare Hebrew expression In verse 7, that speaks of the value of the land from Joshua and Caleb's vantage point. As I had you read at the end of verse 7, they call the land exceedingly good land. Really kind of in the Hebrew, it's so emphatic that it's like good is the land, exceedingly, exceedingly, exceedingly You see, if you're not going to fall into the trap of the ten spies and fail to gain the promises that God has for you in Jesus, then you got to see the evidences of his exceeding goodness on display in the land of your giants, because they're there. I've talked about my own personal giant that I'm trying to wrestle down, my, my giant of discontent. And the promised land that God has for me is that I can find contentment and rest in Jesus. That's a promise that I have in Christ. I don't have to be whooped and beaten by the giant of discontent. And the promise that he has for me in his word is that he's going to be faithful to complete that work in me. That's a promise. I said it. I'm going to finish it. And as I began to preach that sermon series that we entitled Spirit and Power, in my own frustration with wanting to experience more power to live in a place where I'm content instead of always being at a hum where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired because everything is always sick and tiring, I can still be content in the midst of that. And by the grace of God, see, here's the thing, uh, married couples, when your wife says something about you, it's true. Okay, we got an amen. Somebody's listening to me up in here. And, and, and I was on the good side of this for once. Praise the Lord. Woo! She said to me after going through that series, she was like, yeah, I can see you're starting to get it. I, I can see it. Like, yes. But the reality behind that and, and, and the encouragement behind that is I haven't arrived entirely. Right? Just like the children of Israel, they're on the brink of the promised land. But see, what Joshua and Caleb saw were evidences of what's to come. And see, if we could keep our eyes on the evidences of what is to come, the fact that there is fruit that is being born in your life of the promises of God, you just got to stop and look. Oh, they're there. They're there. But so many times our eyes are on the giants and all of the ways we haven't stepped into the land, realizing that, you know what, that's his business. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. I'm taking the land. I didn't tell you to take that land, fool. You can't take the land. I'm just going to show you what I already have for you here and what's to come in the end. And see, that's why Joshua and Caleb were like, oh, we got this. Not because we got this, because he got this. And he's given us evidence and proof of the reality of that. And so that gives me great contentment. To know that even in my discontent, it's not up to me. It's up to the God who is in me. You see, when we focus our gaze not on our giants, but milk and honey, it's then that we've realized that we've tasted and seen in some way that the Lord is good. And that from that taste, that is evidence that if he's brought you this far, far, he ain't going to leave you now. So the eye of his present goodness, secondarily. The thing that kept Joshua and Caleb on point was not only the eye of his present goodness, but the eye of remembrance. In chapter 13, verse 21, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebo-Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Everybody say Hebron. See, it's when these, I know sometimes we be reading these Old Testament things like the Jebusites, Hittites, and all this other stuff, or Hebron and these locations. We think, man, this, don't, this ain't having no spiritual significance in my life at all. Hebron is a megaton. Don't skip over Hebron. What that's telling us is that the main focus of the time that those spies spent was around Hebron. And that area resonated with historical significance. You see, it was in in Hebron that, that the patriarchs were buried. If they just would have paused to remember... If they, would have just, if they would have allowed for the voice of Hebron to cause them to stop and stand in awe of the fact that they were standing on the very ground where God first told Abraham from that area, I'm going to give you this land. It was from that area that, that, that Abraham defeated a coalition of kings through the power of God. It, it, was, it was on that land that all of the patriarchs were buried, which means all of those patriarchs that God had promised, one after another after another, that I'm going to give you that land. Your descendants will take that land. Generation after generation, I'm going to make sure I give you that land. It was there that the patriarchs found themselves buried in those deserts. And see, when when, when the children of Israel were walking through there, or those 10 12 spies... I'm sure Joshua and Caleb were like, hey, dog, do you remember? Oh, this is the same soil. This is the same land where our forefathers, where God came down and promised us this land, and now we kicking the dust in this spot. We eating grapes in this spot. We got milk and honey in this spot. You see, if we're going to gain all that God promises for us in the new land of Pasadena, We're going to have to step into the discipline of remembrance so that when the giants come, we can remind ourselves of all that God has done. See, I'm just telling you right now, do we remember? For those of you who have been here long enough, we went from a church in Chinatown, uh, had no place to go, we were sharing a building, God blessed us, another church just totally let us stay there for free. Didn't have to pay a dime so then we decided and felt like god was calling us here into this area so god blessed us with this location amen it's been a blessing amen and then from that place my family living in compton god in a matter of two weeks with some crazy stuff most of you guys know the craziness that happened in our family where it looked like so much suffering and so bad it was such a bad situation that I thought to myself, honestly, God, there's no way that you can make good out of this situation. Well, we're sitting up here, gangbangers on our doorstep, threatening my son's life, and we got to move. And I'm like, God, I don't see how this is good. And in a matter of two weeks, we're moved out. And then in a matter of a year, a whole bunch of stuff happened, but God blessed us with a home in Altadena. Do you remember? We couldn't afford, I told somebody the other day, Compton money can't afford Altadena money. But God, do we remember? Pastor James and Gene packed up everything in La Mirada. God blessed them with a home, the resources to get there, left all the connections, the things that they had, all the resources they had for their kids, the whole nine-yard boom in Pasadena in a matter of like a month. And then God blessed us. We've been looking for an executive pastor for years. I happen to be walking this way. Rev happens to be walking this way. And bam, the rest is history. Do we remember? The fact that God brought in that time Brian and Charlotte. Do we remember? Do we remember the fact that we had a a building campaign, had no building come on now, come on now, and then y'all stepped into some generous giving, and all of a sudden, bloop, okay, now here's a building. Do we remember that even in COVID, God blessed us with the grace to continue to flourish? I could go on and on and on. There were nine giants, nine of them, that was trying to bid for the place that we got right now. God just slapped all nine of them, all of them, and little old living way was left. You see, if it's hard to see the goodness in your present, set your gaze on what he has done. If you're at a place where it feels like you won't overcome your present giant where you are, focus on the fruit and remember all the giants that he has slayed in your past. Remember the times he met you in that need that you had in a supernatural way Remember how he opened your eyes in that place in your life where you couldn't see Remember where he showed up right on time Remember when he blessed you when you knew you didn't deserve it, but he blessed you anyway Remember, remember, remember And if you ain't got nothing that you can remember, then remember the cross Romans 8.32, he did not spare his own son. How much more will he with him graciously give us all things? So keep your eyes on the past. Keep your eyes on the present goodness. And lastly, have your eyes on his presence with us. Chapter 14, verse 8, Joshua says, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us, everybody say, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. You see, the spies and the people, the 10 spies and the people were complaining in the midst of where? Do you realize where they were complaining? You want to know where they were complaining? They were complaining in this context in the midst of the tabernacle. You know what the tabernacle represents? The presence of God. They were right there in the very presence of God, yelling and screaming at Moses and Aaron, about to pick up stones and light those dudes all up, not realizing who was with them. You see, he was with them in Egypt with all of those plagues. He he was with them in the Red Sea. He was with them in the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. He He was with them in the desert when they had no food or water. He was with them even when they rejected him for a golden calf and grumbled all along the way. As I looked in the Word of God, God is constantly about letting us know, I'm with you. He told Jacob, I will be with you. He told Moses in Egypt, I will be with you. He told Solomon, I will be with you. He told Joseph, I will be with you. He told Joshua, be strong and courageous, I will be with you. Isaiah chapter 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He told Jeremiah, don't be afraid of anyone. Why? Because I will be with you. God became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could be what? With us. He promised us in Matthew chapter 28 that he would never leave us or forsake us, that he would be with us. He sent us his Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, to be with us. And he made us, instead of an outward tabernacle, the very tabernacle presence of God so that he might be in us constantly and always and forever. And at the cross, he tore the veil so that we could be the new temple and have access to God always. See, this is what it means for God to be God to those he calls his own. It means that he is always with you. He is with you in your land of giants, and he is with us in our land of giants. And he has always been with us when we move from Chinatown, when we're here, and he's going to be with us when we go there. When we relocated our families, when we had other people come through here that were trying to find out whether or not this should be the church that they want to be a part of, God has constantly been faithful. And the comfort is this, is that it's not just that God is with us. As I close, this God who is with us is the Lord of hosts. Or should I say the Lord of armies? This is the God that's tabernacling with us in the face of our giants. And so this God that is with you in your area, for him to be the Lord of hosts means that the God that is with you, the God that is with living way, he commands every heavenly host. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. He commands every celestial body, Polaris, Sirius, Alpha Centauri, Betelgeuse, Rigel, Vega, Pleiades, the Milky Way. He has every one of those in the palm of his hand. But not only that, for him to be the Lord of hosts that's with you, this God is the one who commands the earthly hosts. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1, he commands the atoms, every human power, and every natural element. But not only that, for him to be the Lord of hosts, that means that he also commands the invisible heavenly hosts— angels, demons, principalities, powers. What this means is that the full weight of the military of heaven and earth is at his disposal, and he is using that in the life of his children and the church to usher them into all the promises that he has for them in Jesus. You see, I always wondered, what gave David such courage in the face of Goliath? And those even mightier than him were frozen with terror. The difference between them and him was that he knew something about the God that was with him that they didn't. When the words that David spoke, the text said, were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of this Goliath. Your servant will go and I will fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. For you are but a youth. And he he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck and delivered him out of his mouth. You see the evidences of power and promise? And if he rose again, I caught him uh, by his beard and struck and killed him. You see, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Philistine moved forward near David, and David said to the Philistine, "'You come to me with sword and with spear "'and with a javelin, "'but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, "'the God of the armies of Israel, "'whom you have defiled. "'And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, "'and I will strike you down, "'and I will cut off your head, "'and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts "'of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air "'and the wild beasts of the earth.'" That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There is a God in Living Way, church. Why would God bring you so far in Jesus to abandon you now? Why would God bring Living Way so far just to abandon us now? He shed his own blood. And he promised that the very gates of death will not prevail against his church. We're in good hands. And if Israel would have simply asked themselves that question, they would have experienced the joy of the promised land. But you know what? The story ends tragically because all the children of Israel had to turn back and go back toward the Red Sea. They missed the promise. Joshua and Caleb eventually got it but the rest perish. If they had simply seen the eye of his present goodness, the eye of his presence with us, and the eye of remembrance, they would have gained his wonderful promise. And so I say that to you, wherever your giant may be and whatever it is, if you want to experience the wonder, the promises that are yours in Jesus, then keep your eyes on his present goodness. Keep your eye on his presence with you, the presence of the Lord of hosts, and keep your eye on remembrance. That's what communion is for us, is it not? It is a time to remind us and to remember just that reality that our God indeed is good, that as we hold the elements, it is a symbol of his presence with us. It is a time for us to remember all that he has done in Christ Jesus. So here's what I want you to do as prepare ourselves for communion. Whatever your giants are, I want you to name them. Whatever's keeping you from seeing right now, his present goodness, if you can't see his present goodness, then it's a giant. If you can't see his presence with you, then that's a giant. If you can't step into remembrance to encourage you, that's a giant. And what I want you to do is this when we partake of communion today as we partake allow for the partaking to minister those three realities to your heart in the midst of your giants let the the, the, the taking of, the com- of communion remind you that he's presently good that he's presently with you and that he's done far more in good for you in the past that you have hope for the future so if I could ask those who are going to be administering communion to come up at this time. And when you're prepared and when your heart is ready, you can get in a line, on this line here, or this side here, and come and grab the elements and then take those back to your seat. And then we will partake together as one family. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, we would ask that you would refrain, that you would observe, and that perhaps by God's grace, it would be a ministry to you to wonder just what these elements really signify. And if you are wondering, please come to one of us and ask us just what these things mean, that you might come to know the loving grace of Jesus Christ. So when you're ready, you can come forward.